Greetings and welcome back for another Faculty Chronicles podcast at Marietta College. We use this forum as a place to speak with faculty members on important issues that are impacting our campus or impacting our world. I'm your host, Tom Perry, and today we are pleased to welcome Dr. David Torbett, who is the Israel Ward Andrews Professor of Religion. Today we will be chatting about religious freedoms and the First Amendment. David, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. So let's get right into it. Our first question is, and again, we've had a lot of things sort of happening in the news that sort of, you know, that, that crossover between First Amendment, religious, religious rights, and those kind of things. So that's kind of what I want to ask is, do you believe the religious freedoms guaranteed in the First Amendment are currently under attack in the United States? There have been some recent decisions. There's certainly people that say so. Uh, there's been recent decisions uh, that represent a change in precedent for the Supreme Court. There were school cases regarding uh, public funding of private schools uh, that said that states, if they're going to offer any money to private schools, can't discriminate between religious and secular schools, which is uh, setting a limit on how states had previously written their laws and their constitutions in order to follow the Second Amendment or the First Amendment of the Constitution. And uh, then also there was a uh, a case involving uh, school prayer. And what made it different is that the majority opinion explicitly rejected what's called the Lemon Test, which is a set of principles based on a Supreme Court case from 1971 that said if a law is constitutional, it must have a secular purpose, must neither inhibit nor advance religion, and uh, should not lead to excessive government entanglement with religion. And the court, the majority opinion explicitly um, overruled that. So that represents a change. So certainly there are people that think that these freedoms are under threat. And then also among the people, there's this movement that has been labeled Christian nationalism and which some members of it embrace the term Christian nationalism. Uh, the effort to claim that the U.S. was founded as a Christian nation and that it needs to be more Christian and among some groups and individuals, this means getting hold of the power of the state to make it more Christian, as they define the term Christian. So some would see this movement as a threat. But I should also say that there are Christians, including evangelicals, that have made statements against Christian nationalism and affirming the way that uh, Christianity has thrived in the U.S. under the protections of the First Amendment, disestablishment, separation of church and state, and also religious freedom. Um, well, let's go ahead and move on. What are some significant First Amendment or religious freedom cases that the U.S. Supreme Court has decided in recent years? Well, the first thing to point out at this is that there's been a lot of them. And I teach a PIO class on religious freedoms that we're going to talk about later. And uh, each time I've taught it, since 2018, there's been another set of cases. And I don't get to all of them. Uh, there's been a change in the kind of cases brought to the Supreme Court in the 21st century compared to the 20th century. The 20th century cases having to do with the religious freedom part of the amendment, and that part is that uh, Congress won't do anything to prohibit religious freedom or impose on religious freedom. In the 20th century, they were usually brought by some minority religious group and or marginalized religious group that were um, objecting to some law that made them do something or say something or kept them from doing something or saying something that was an imposition on their particular, sometimes unusual religious practice or on their conscience. So, for example, 
um, the Amish protesting against a law requiring secondary education, or Jehovah's Witnesses protesting against a law that required them to uh, salute the flag. This, these were famous cases in World War II, and they considered that a kind of image worship or idolatry. And uh, Santeria. Santeria is a Afro-Cuban uh, religion, and uh, there were laws in a city in Florida passed against specifically they're doing certain practices within city limits that involved animal sacrifice. And uh, so those were the kind of uh, cases that came in the 20th century. Later in the 21st century, it's usually not members of what I'd call minority or marginalized religion. And a lot of those religious freedom cases have been, have involved them uh, not wanting to provide some kind of good or service because they believe providing it would go against their religious freedom. So one of those was Cake Shop versus Colorado, and that was where a baker, Christian baker, did not want to provide a cake for a same-sex marriage because he considered that against his beliefs. And another one, there's several, but one more to name is uh, Burwell versus Hobby Lobby from 2014. And uh, Hobby Lobby was a corporation, so part of what was significant about that is whether a corporation has a right to religious freedom the way that individual persons do. And uh, they objected to paying for certain kinds of contraception that they considered post-conception uh, and therefore uh, you know, morally similar to abortion, that, that they objected to on basis of their religious beliefs. So those are some of the kind of cases. And then a significant establishment uh, clause case came in uh, 2018. That's called Trump versus Hawaii. And it was over the constitutionality of an executive order from then-President Trump limiting immigration from several mostly Muslim-majority countries. And uh, so those are the, some of the kind of cases. And uh, without saying how all of them were decided, I'll say that they were complicated. The decisions were not unanimous, and they are interesting majority opinions, dissenting opinions, and concurring opinions. So a lot, of, a lot to read. Okay. Um, well... We'll kind of stay in, I think, in that in that general area for my next question, and and that is more: what are some of the common misunderstandings about uh, what the First Amendment says about religion? What are, you know, okay. as we talk about these things, there's a lot of you know, I, I assume a lot of misunderstandings. Okay, well, I think the first thing to say when you're talking about misunderstandings is just to go back to the Constitution and see what it says. So, what does it say? It says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And they're called the religion clauses of the First Amendment because there's two of them. And the first clause is the uh, establishment clause, and that protects freedom from religion, meaning the government can't make you join a religion, affirm a belief, support a religion. And the other one is called the uh, freedom of religion clause, and that's freedom for religion, meaning the government can't keep you from doing all these things uh, or impose on your conscience. So that's what it says. Uh, and there's misunderstandings coming from different directions, from two sides. Some claiming it says too much and some claiming it says too little. So there's some that would say or have said or understand it to mean that there's no uh, legal participation for religion in public life, but that's never been the case. So religious groups can advocate uh, and have organizations that lobby the government for uh, their moral concerns, like the participation of the black churches in the civil rights movement comes to mind. 
clergy can run for public office. That's constitutionally protected. So religion does play a role in public life, but there's a misunderstanding coming from the other side. And uh, that misunderstanding is not always an honest one. And that's to make a little too much of uh, the fact that separation of church and state is not literally specifically in the Constitution. And uh, recently it was uh, Colorado Representative Lauren Boebert in June giving a speech at a church and she said things like, uh, I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. That is how our founding fathers intended it. That clearly goes against not only the spirit but the letter of the Constitution. And you might say that's a fringe opinion, but she is a uh, U.S. Congress representative, so it represents other opinions. Um, it's true the expression separation of church and state is not in the Constitution, but historically the First Amendment, as I stated, the Establishment Clause in particular has been interpreted that way to protect those two kinds of freedoms that I stated, freedom from and freedom for religion. All right, well, let's take it another step further and, and do something that's a little bit even more timely. Um, uh, it, when you look at the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs versus Jackson and overturning Roe versus Wade, um, how is this related to the religious clause in the First Amendment? Well, is it? Um, I guess I maybe, say, maybe that's the better question. Is yeah, it? I would say uh, no and yes. First no and then yes. Okay. So no and that the plaintiffs did not appeal to the religion clauses of the First Amendment when it was brought to the Supreme Court. Uh, yes, in that uh, there have been some critics, scholars, journalists, who have objected to Dobbs on the basis of the First Amendment. And, uh, yeah, here we are. Uh, and I would say yes in the sense, you know, their objections, I think, are based on the general spirit of the First Amendment as a whole and the Constitution as a whole, that there's this uh, realm of private moral decision-making, uh, this realm of, you know, the mind of decision-making, making of conscience that the state can't legislate on. And so some people have said, well, um, uh, the decision about abortion kind of boils down to the moral decision, the moral arguments about it kind of boil down to when does personhood begin? Uh, when does it mean that you become a human person, an individual with rights? Does it happen at conception? Does it happen at birth? Or does it happen sometime in between? And Roe versus Wade was kind of a compromise uh, that said at the earliest period of pregnancy, because of the subjective nature of that uh, decision, which is not a question that can be answered objectively with science. It's a question of philosophy and belief and, you know, and religious orientation, if that's, you know, orientation. Uh, it's left that decision, Roe versus Wade decided to leave that decision to the person, to the woman who was pregnant at the earliest stages. Later on, um, Roe, and then the later cases uh, in the 1990s, uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh, said that later on in the pregnancy, the state ha can legitimately regulate abortion, but at the earliest stage, um, it's a matter of personal conscience. Uh, so you c and that by um, allowing states to 
legislate at that earliest stage, which in principle is what Dobbs did. Uh, that is imposing one view of the beginning of personhood uh, on the individual. But what makes it complicated is what the moral question is, which is when does a person become an individual with rights? Well, as I always say, when we get to this point of the podcast and anybody who ever listens knows, I like to, you know, when I'm talking to a faculty member, I want to know how does this, how do you bring this back into the classroom? And I know you talked about your, your PIO class and those kind of things, but, you know, when you think about it, um, you know, what, what do you talk about in your classes? What, you know, what, what do you offer them or, or can you share with us that people can understand what our students are hearing in the classroom for you when it comes to, situa- to, to whether it's topics like Roe v. Wade or some of these other things? I'm just curious, what are some of the things that you think are important that you're bringing to the classroom? Well, I do teach a class specifically on the First Amendment called Religious Freedoms with an S because there's these two kinds of freedoms, freedom from, freedom for. Um, it's part of the PIO path, and uh, I originally taught it as PIO 101, then I decided it was a little complicated for freshmen, so we moved up to PIO 201. And uh, we read Supreme Court opinions. We read American history. So it's a combined uh, ethics, history, and you might say uh, law and political science class because the PIO is supposed to be interdisciplinary. Then I also teach a history of American religion class, and that's an important factor. Uh, the First Amendment religious freedom, but also disestablishment, is an important part of the American character. Uh, It's important that religious people supported separation early on. And we established a secular state, but one that religion thrived under. Uh, So I teach about it in the history of American religion, and it would be relevant in other classes, ethics. And it's relevant in my alternative religions class because of, you know, the reality of religious diversity, a lot of our religious freedoms that we uh, honor and protect come from these marginalized groups that I mentioned earlier. And so we study these marginalized groups specifically. Um, and uh, so those are some ways that it comes up in class. And uh, I think it's important to take these classes and uh, to be, you may not remember all the facts from them, but especially when it comes to the First Amendment, it teaches you some of the complexity. It teaches you how to read and listen to the news, to be aware of uh, how people are speaking about these things, to be critical of them, and uh, helps you to become a well-rounded citizen and leader, which is the point of our liberal arts education that we offer at Marietta College, which is one of our core values. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Faculty Chronicles, and thank you to Dr. Torvit for sharing his insight with us today. If you'd like to learn more about Marietta College, please visit www.marietta.edu.